This evening's reading is taken from Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. Amen. Well, we're starting a, a new um, sermon series this evening that shall run over the summer on um, Psalms 93 through to Psalm 98, taking the title from the, uh, the first words of this psalm that uh, Sean read for us, The Lord Reigns. And although we usually think of the psalms as um, a collection of individual psalms, um, they're also often grouped together for a reason. And um, the common theme of these particular psalms is God's sovereignty, which they approach in different ways. But I wonder what you understand by God's sovereignty, or to say that the Lord reigns. How important to your faith is the knowledge that the Lord reigns. So I want to suggest this evening that it's actually fundamental to our knowledge of God and our relationship with him and that it's an inadequate understanding of God's sovereignty that can lead to a weak faith and a half-hearted commitment. Often we just don't really think a lot about God's sovereignty and it's only when a, a natural disaster happens, an earthquake in Haiti, a tsunami in Japan, um, that we maybe think about it. We actually may become embarrassed about it because people will use those events to say, well, there can't be a God. You know, either he's incapable of controlling nature or he just doesn't care. Well, hopefully, rather than make us embarrassed, this series will give us greater confidence in God uh, as we think of his rule over this world and our role in it. But let's start by looking at what it means to say the Lord reigns or that he's robed in majesty. To what extent is it different from the position of a, a sovereign state that reigns? We've seen this year the overthrow of many uh, sovereign powers in the Middle East. Uh, recalls the, uh, the overthrow of the, uh, the communist regimes in Eastern Europe in 89. Um, overthrown by the people of those countries. And it's raised the question of what makes a sovereign power. Now it's normally understood as the, the ability to rule um, as well as the right to rule. A sovereign state can maintain its ability to rule through oppression. Think of states like uh, North Korea and others. But to the extent it oppresses its people, it treats them unjustly, it then loses its legitimacy, loses its right to rule. Because rulers should be looking after the interests of their subjects. And the end result may be that the people rise up, as we've seen, against those sovereign states and causing them to lose their ability to, to rule. In Libya, Colonel Gaddafi has lost his legitimacy. 
his right to rule. He's just about holding on to his power to rule in some parts of the country, but we wonder how long that will go on for. But you can also have legitimacy but no power. Think of the Dalai Lama, for example, somebody who has had, had legitimacy amongst the people of Tibet but no power to, um, to rule from exile. So if we ask the same question of God, what gives him the right to rule? Well, let's have a look at this Psalm 93. When we looked at um, Psalms in this Route 66 series, we've been doing this in the, in the mornings, uh, we were reminded how, how Psalms are poetry. They use various literary desi- devices to, to emphasise the, the point. And um, here in the opening couple of the verses, we have repetition stressing the fact that the Lord is robed in majesty. He rules. As people, we... We might put on robes to show to others that we have a certain position. You'll find uh, um, some Anglican ministers who will put on robes to show that they are vicars or, or bishops. Our queen will put on robes to show that uh, she is a monarch. We put on other, other clothes at different times. When I, I take a funeral at the crematorium for somebody I don't know, um, I'll put on a dog collar to show the mourners there present in their suits that... Um, I'm the one taking the service. We can put on certain clothes to make people respond to us in certain ways, but God doesn't put on clothes to show he's God, to to show that he can be picked out of a crowd. He clothes himself with attributes. And so this is is a picture here of God clothing himself with majesty. That's part of his nature, his majesty. And it says he arms himself with strength. He's put strength on as his belt. But where does that strength come from? What is that strength? That strength is, as it says in the next couple of lines, the power to create. Because those next two lines say the world is firmly established. He's robed himself, he's armed himself with strength, and it says the world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Well, what gives God the right to rule over the world is that he's created it. He's created the world and he has a right to rule over what he has created. If you've created something you've, and you've chosen to create, to create it rather than somebody asking you to do that or commissioning you to do that, um, you're the owner of it. Think how much, um, if you are a creative type, think of how much uh, satisfaction you have uh, had when you've created something. It could be um, an amazing painting. Um, It could be a photo if you're a photographer. It could be a piece of music. It could be, uh, for a garden, it's a beautiful garden. For parents, it could be a baby. There's a feeling that this is is mine. I I made it. This belongs to me. Let's just turn briefly to Revelation chapter 4, which is uh, where we were this morning. We see here God's right to rule over what he's created. We looked at chapter 5 this morning, which referred to the, the right of Jesus to reign because he, he purchased people by his blood, he redeemed them. But before that, in chapter 4, have a look there at the end, verse 11 of chapter 4. There it says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. Why? For you created all things, 
and by your will they were created and have their being. God created all things, but he also chose to create them. And therefore, as his created beings, we are owned by him. And that concept of being created by God is fundamental to our understanding of sin. And it's the reason why many people just don't get sin. They don't see sin as rejecting the rule of somebody who made them because they don't really believe they were made by that God. And therefore they don't feel they do owe him anything. Yes, there may be some people may think that, well, there is some sort of God out there who who had something to do with creating this world, but in terms of uh, being responsible for my existence, they'll think, well, no, I just don't get that. Some people feel, well, you know, they were just an accident, really. I mean, maybe their parents didn't really mean to have them at the time. Um, Maybe they were just a bit careless with their contraception. I was just an accident. What has God got to do with me? But this all-powerful God is also Yahweh. He's the Lord. He's not just a creator God. He's also one who wants a relationship with the people he has made, the individuals that he's made. And so that is why he has a right to rule over them, because he's made each one of us. Psalm 23 is more explicit. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Everything in this world, including the people who live in it, belong to God. And whereas sovereign states may have the right to rule over a part of that world because God has given them that authority, God has the right to rule over the whole of the universe. So what is this world, though, that God has created? What's it like? Because if it was one that was was fragile, that could just sort of self-destruct at any moment, that could be uh, sucked down a black hole or burnt up by the sun, then we'd probably be thinking, well, actually, I don't really owe such a debt to the one who created it, who gave it to us to look after. My survival on this planet really depends on me, how well I can uh, um, protect the planet. But the end of verse 1, look there, look down, it says, the world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. Now what does that mean to say it's firmly established? Well, on one hand, it's designed to function perfectly. Each element does exactly the right thing for life to be sustained. Some of you, I'm sure, would have read um, this book by John Blanchard. Uh, Has science got rid of God? Let me just quote from that. He says, for Earth to function as it does in sustaining life, there needs to be an extremely complex and exact arrangement of terrestrial and extraterrestrial elements. To give some of the best-known examples, the size of Earth, its rotational speed, the tilt of its axis relative to the plane of its orbit, its distance from the Sun, and its land-water ratio all have to be correct. We need light, but not too much ultraviolet. Heat, but not too much. We need the Earth's magnetic field to shield us from cosmic rays, atmosphere over our heads to shield us from meteorites, and a screen of rock under our feet to prevent us from being incinerated. The Oxford scholar J.L. Mackey, one of the 20th century's most influential atheists, admitted in his book, The Miracle of Theism, it is surprising that the elements of this unique setup are just right for life when they might easily 
have been wrong. Now, you might be thinking, well, if it's so finely tuned, then surely it's quite fragile. You only need something to sort of knock it out, as it were, and the whole thing would, would, would collapse. And if we thought that the world only came into existence by pure chance anyway, then we probably would be pretty worried. Because when you think about it, we trust in the laws of nature, the laws of physics, all the time, don't we? I'm sure a lot of you probably don't like flying, but have flown nevertheless, and when you get in that that plane, you may be a little bit worried, but you're trusting that the plane is held up by the laws of physics. But what if those laws are suddenly to change? Randomly, you crash to the ground. But the fact that I believe that God made it in this way with certain laws of nature, certain laws of physics, gives me a huge sense of confidence that he can keep it just so finely tuned to keep it going. And if God has made it and is in control of it, and not just our little world, but the whole universe, every one of those billions of solar systems, then we have nothing to fear. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. But as we read on in this psalm, we come to verse 3 and 4, and suddenly the sense of peace and order seem to disappear. Repetition is there again. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. I don't know about you, but what immediately comes to my mind is tsunamis. I remember when I was uh, working in uh, project finance in the the 90s, negotiating um, legal agreements to ensure that the the projects we were financing were protected from all risk. One of the biggest, uh, hardest negotiations was was the force majeure clause, which is effectively the get-out clause. And um, I remember reading, you know, as some of us did, in all the legal... um, legalese, that, that word tsunami. And um, a lot of us say, well, what does that mean? What is a tsunami? Of course, today you won't find many people who don't know what a tsunami is, who've not seen the destructive consequences of a tsunami on TV. And even when this psalm was written, the psalmist knew the power of the sea. And yet he writes... Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. But of course, the question comes, if he's so mighty, then why does he allow them to happen? Why does he allow the earthquake in Haiti to happen? Why does he allow the the drought in East Africa? And if, as suspected, why does he allow a lightning strike to hit a train? In China. And we can point to human failings that cause these uh, things or make them worse. Think of the, uh, the, the, the way buildings were constructed, the corruption involved in some of these countries that doesn't allow uh, money to get to them. But why does God allow it to happen? And the fact is, we just don't know. And there are some things we do just have to leave to God. We know that we live in a world that. Uh, has been affected by sin, that is groaning, the whole world is groaning. It's not as it should be. And Jesus told us that we should expect these natural disasters, that earthquakes would come. And Jesus also showed that 
He was somebody who was mightier than nature. He showed his power over nature. Remember that, that incident on the, uh, the lake when the disciples uh, got involved in the, a storm which grew up and they thought they were going to drown. And they cried out to, to Jesus who was asleep at the back. They said, do something about it. We're going to drown here. And what happened? It says he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm, just like that. It says the disciples were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. God has control over the world he created. That means we can be confident that um, the sea levels won't rise and wipe out whole countries, that there won't be some cataclysmic event that wipes earth off the map before Jesus comes again and takes his people to be with him forever and recreates this world as it should be. It also means that uh, we can pray for God to intervene in disaster situations. We can pray for rain in uh, areas of drought. We can pray for protection from earthquakes in areas of seismic activity. But ultimately, the Lord has a right to rule over what he's created. What else gives God the right to rule? Well, secondly, the Lord rules because he is, he was, and he always will be. Look back there at uh, verse 2. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. We know that our days are numbered. Psalm 103 is one that um, we often read out at uh, funerals, one which I'm sure you'll you'll know if you turn over a few pages to Psalm 103. Verse 14. We are dust, it says. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. And no matter how much we flourish, no matter how much we achieve in this world, our days are numbered. We will all die one day. We will all be forgotten. Whereas God, we're told, he created time and space. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And clearly if we are here on this tiny planet for a brief moment and there is a God who was there at the beginning who will be there throughout all eternity who created people and put them here on this tiny tiny planet who put them in time and space then he must by his very nature rule over us. And the amazing thing is that um, not only does his existence carry on forever, but his love lasts forever. Psalm 103 carries on, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. The Lord rules because he is, he was, and always will be. Which leads us into the final point, that the Lord's rules for living in the world he created are always valid. The Lord's rules for living in the world he created are always valid. At the end of the psalm, we move from talking about the Lord as creator, the physical laws of the universe, to the moral laws that govern the behaviour of those created beings. 
those who live in the world that God created. And this uh, psalm ends with a challenge. It's saying, do you submit to the laws of the one who made the world? Do you submit to him? And the point here is that as a God who is, was and always will be, he can establish rules that will last forever. It says, let's read here, verse uh, 5, your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. Cornerstones, we know, are going through the process of uh, producing their own uh, constitution. And the questions come up, well, why do we have a constitution and rules? Why do we have the two separate things? And the, the answer is because the constitution is something which um, is agreed with the Charities Commission. Um, it's difficult to then change later, but the rules you can change when you like. Uh, and the implication is that you can just change rules when you fancy, when you feel like things have moved on. God knows that the... Uh, the people he created may become more sophisticated over time, that they may continually expand their knowledge of how the world is made and how things work within it. They continue to invent new things that make life in this world more comfortable or safe. But in terms of how they relate to the one who made them, how they relate to each other, these laws never need to change. That's what this is getting at here. The trouble is, if people don't accept that they were made by God in the first place and they have no relationship with him, they will change the rules simply to make life more comfortable. Why not? That is what uh, is most important for them. That is their priority. A comfortable life. Every now and then they will uh, push it a little bit too far and there will be moral outrage, as we've seen recently with the, the phone hacking scandals, which has offended people's sense of right and wrong. But if you look back over the last 50 or so years and look at what was morally unacceptable then compared to what is morally unacceptable now, it's amazing how quickly things change. And that is proof that Satan is at work. He's the one who said in the Garden of Eden, you know, don't believe what God told you about not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, he was just trying to maintain his rule over you. He's, he's, a, he's an evil dictator or he don't listen to him. And Satan uses the same arguments today, doesn't he? You know, you don't need to worry about the law. It's just there to spoil your fun. Things have moved on. Don't be old-fashioned. The rules that um, God has given us to live in the world, he has created for our good. And the choices we make about how we behave towards each other, about how different countries behave towards each other, affects the whole world in which we live. We're told not to covet. We're told that uh, greed is a, a sin. And yet, as humans, we ignore that rule. We, we waste resources, and when drought comes, there is a shortage of food. There is famine. But that's at the national level. We know it at the personal level as well, don't we? In many people's lives, the seas have lifted up. They're pounding waves. Life is chaotic. And much of that chaos in people's lives is of their own making. And it often comes from striving for one's own throne. To say, actually, I don't want God on the throne. I want myself to be on the throne. I'll make my own rules up, thank you very much. And so if you are here this evening and you're not yet a Christian, can I encourage you to acknowledge that uh, 
God is your creator and he's your redeemer. We've all rebelled against his perfect laws, but through Jesus he has given us an escape route, a chance to be forgiven if we repent and follow him. And if we are already Christians, if we have already repented, the challenge for us living in a world that uh, has rejected the laws of the God that created it is a big one. We need to, to challenge people about what it is that's driving them, about the one who created this world. Where did this world come from? We need to challenge people to think about more deeply. And if people do think that there was a God who created this world, because I think a lot of people do, even if they're not Christians, if they believe there is a God who created this world, then what is their relationship like with him? The one who deserves to rule us. But we need to ask God for his protection as well, because... Um, Living in a world that is constantly rejecting God's laws is dangerous. We'll be tempted by Satan to ignore those laws as well. And it's often subtle, isn't it? Because as people's views change on what is morally acceptable, to stand by what God thinks is morally acceptable becomes harder. And we need the courage to stand firm. Because those people who may ridicule us now will be like, the flowers, the grass that is here today that go on tomorrow. But God will be here forever. And as Anthony said this morning, only if God is at the throne in our lives, only if he's at the centre, will we be able to change and become more like Jesus Christ. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord.